Welcome to a special series of the Talking Writing Podcast, exploring my project, Weird Music. I'm John Vogel, TW's art director. In this episode, we'll be breaking down approaches to performing music. Shortly before I had the idea for Weird Music, I had gone on a very long tour crisscrossing the entire United States. At that point, I was in Rad Racket, and I started playing with telepathy during our sets. As soon as we started, I would try to cast a mental net over the rest of the band and the audience, trying to sync up the band and pull the spectators into our show. I was doing this mostly as a joke, but the weird thing is that it seemed to work. We were playing really well together as a band, and our performance drew people in. That wasn't always a lot of people, but those who were there seemed to get closer. Of course, maybe it was because we had been playing for so long that we were just killing it. Or maybe my memory is flawed, and the majority of people actually walked away. Maybe we were awful. When you've been playing in a band on tour for a long time, there's a weird synchrony that you can achieve where everything feels effortless and everyone's right with each other. We used to call it tour tightness. In the decade and a half since then, I've realized that we were pretty much talking about the concept of flow and settling into the flow state every night. It's one of my favorite things about playing music. There's also another funny thing that can happen when you've been playing with the same people for a long time, where one person can play any snippet from any of the songs that you all know while warming up, and everyone else will quickly join in one after another. Suddenly, you're practicing a song. I've been in this situation with Rad Racket and Grandchildren, and I also saw it happen with Man Man when I practiced with them to play trumpet on two of their songs during our tour together. That's another one of my favorite things about playing music with others. As a solo artist, I have never quite achieved the flow state in performance, but that's my current goal. This is the first time that I've tried to book shows, but I've been trying to perform as much as I can to hopefully get to the point of being able to just hit play on my set and fall directly into every note without trying. In this first section, we'll hear from Drew Daniel and Martin Schmidt of Matmos talking about the challenges of translating electronic music to a live setting. Performance is tricky with electronic music because, you know, how do you manifest it in a way that feels like there's something at stake in the moment and not just playback, you know, electronic music live is boring. Generally speaking, I've been to countless crashingly dull concerts. Um, and I think the kind of private world of me in my bedroom with my laptop, that is the mindset of most creators of electronic music. Um, it's not the mindset. It's the actual fact. Yeah. But it can come with this sort of like, psychic BO of uh, narcissism that is repellent. You know, rock bands have their own repellent problem, which is the like, I'm so charismatic and funny, you love me, you know, where you just think like, fuck you, you know. Um, but the kind of, here's my private world, um, and yeah, okay, here's this great sound file of this hilarious uh, cut up that I thought was so funny, and, you know, and you're just like, dude, you are wasting my time. You know, so what it's we important. are is the absolutely perfect <laughs> mixture of those two. 
<laughs> I mean, where are you going? I, with I'm this? in the private world, and you're the charming front man. I think we err more on the side of the bedroom noodler. When you have a studio at home, there's no pressure to. We've got to be done this week. You know, like we booked the dates. Let's finish. And that pressure. Yeah, it's used very to different be, model than the yeah. rock, rock model of like we need to write the mm -hmm. songs and then go in and record the songs and then you know process the songs. They each have pluses and minuses. I think that's the pressure of that era of recording um, produced better performances because people knew they had to really nail it. And I think there's a certain laziness and endless self-embroidering that electronic music produces. And sometimes it's positive because the details become textures and become fascinating. And then sometimes it just produces a lot of clutter and self-indulgent crap. Um, no, what we try to do is to to like put the pri put put the like process that created the music on display in some way. So if you make a song with a rat cage, you got to bring a rat cage and bow it and pluck it and show people the object and show people how the piece was made and really essentially reconstruct it. You know, which means you got to bring a lot of stuff that. Right. The whole, like, well, it's so convenient to just have a laptop. Like, well, yeah, but a performance is it's, a performance. It's, it's not convenient, about... It's not a display of prudence. It's a display of, you know, material choices being made. Um, and I think if you don't have something gestural... Well, what is, I mean, we don't really have the... I mean, I don't really understand what the answer to why is live performance dynamic. Because, you know, I've you see... Uh, Andre Segovia, you know, great classical guitarist. He's not making any choices. Sure, he is live. It's an interpretation. Every performance he's doing is his an absolute best to. Yeah, I mean, but, yeah, but each night there's a different emphasis. Yeah, like on a tiny, like micro, micro, I, I think micro. Listeners level. can perceive that micro level, and they can tell when it works and when it doesn't. There's a circus aspect going on too. Mm -hmm. There's a like. How do you juggle all those, like Notes. a chainsaw and a cat and a, and a, you know, a ping pong ball at the same time? There's a like, ah, ha, ha, good trick. trick. Whereas with do electronic another, music. Do the, another hard trick. Yeah, with electronic music, there is no, you know, there's no circus. There's no juggling at all. Um... And there's no, uh, like, I'm making decisions on the fly or the the sort of... I mean, it's interesting. Like, why is watching someone do this more interesting than watching someone do this? I mean, I think literally the physical arrangement of the laptop where there's something even blocking the tips of the fingers, if even something was going on there. Well, it's part of, like, the inherent nature of working with sampling that the connection of the gesture to the sonic outcome is cut, right? Mm -hmm. If I pick up a guitar and I go like that, you know that this physical motion will produce that vibration in the air. But I could go like that and you could hear a piano crash or a delicate strum or, or a, a voice or a chord, you know, and, and there's no difference in the gesture. And so once the gestures can't be, like, expected or they don't, they don't translate the music, the, the performer's body is kind of out of, the, out of the running. And unfortunately, there's also been a lot of overcompensating where people try to create these very blue man group style um, triggering interfaces where they make electronic music live by like, I'm going to wear a MIDI jacket. And when I wiggle my elbow, it goes bonk, bonk, bonk. And when I wiggle this elbow, it goes boop, boop, boop. And then you sit there and you watch them go bonk, boop, bonk, boop. And it's not interesting. No, it's more interesting. 
Well, it's more interesting than a laptop, but if the sounds are lame, it doesn't really matter that you're triggering. I mean, every time you walk into a liquor store, you make something <laughs> go boop. You know, that's not exciting either. So I think there's been a lot of bullshit R&D into ways to get around this problem, unfortunately, um, where... The, I think the gesture, I'm not going anywhere with yeah. this or disagreeing with you. Or well, he's going to cut it up and collage us anyway, anyway, right? I don't know. But um, I don't know either. I think there's <laughs> there's something to be examined there with the gesture at, just be, between acoustic and electric. Like, because the idea that when I go like that, a power chord comes out of my electric guitar because there is that connection. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you're going to, you know, most people have touched a guitar at some point and they know what it sounds like. But now, I, I mean, there's some kind of like increasing disconnection starting with amplification, mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, why, when I go like this on a guitar, should it go, you know, like so fucking loud, it makes everyone in the room go, oh, fuck, and cover their ears, when in fact, you know, they're, they're playing a guitar, or then the weird disconnect of like, the same gesture, but it's an unamplified acoustic guitar or an amplified acoustic guitar. So it is Andrea Segovia, but he has a microphone on him. Well, people don't perceive you know, like, the, the technology. I mean, I think that's why we live in a great moment in pop music, actually, because the triumph of autotune means that a whole new generation of people are accustomed to like weird digital signal processing. They don't need to read some, you know, overwrought postmodernist uh, essay about artifice you know like they hear artificiality and sincerity mashed together constantly in the way that pop music takes lyrics about love and money and like very base everyday concerns and like rams them through these bizarre algorithms that are tweaking their voices I mean pop music is kind of already educating people all the time formally um, without perhaps, you know, making a big theoretical fanfare out of it. You know, like, I think people are savvier now as listeners about... Well, I, like, all increasingly old people, like, I'm, afra I'm afraid there's some kind of, like, serious disconnection between people that is being generated by that. I mean, I, you can't argue with numbers, and the fact is, is that people still go see and ostensibly love bands that are essentially playing to a click track, and everything is sort of, like, pre-recorded, yeah, where people are slave to the computer rather than to the groove, um, and that must take away from the essential musicality, if musicality is taken to mean an interaction, a musical interaction between people, you know, it's just a bunch of people keeping up with a computer instead of a bunch of people, like, creating something between each but other. that's what we do. I mean, we have, like, multiple computers that are keeping time, and we sort of line them up with each other, and then sometimes we let them slide out of control and off against each other. But you've you've learned a method of starting and stopping, and you've built the things in the computer so that there is an actual yeah uh, semi interactive system. I mean, maybe I, we should there. explain like how a mountain song is played live. Like the way that it works is that in 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 a software program, I'll have like seventy different patterns and I'll decide on the fly which ones to turn on when and how and how dense 
or thin to make a set of patterns and I have ways to like transform the sounds in real time adjusting all these parameters of like pitch and duration of events and I'm doing that and Martin is soloing and performing on top of that on synthesizers, guitars, objects and based on what I hear him do I might extend a section or shorten it and so there's a kind of very loose flowchart sense of sections within a piece but there's no right way to play a Matma song it might be 10 minutes it might be seven it might be 12 you know it might have lots of layers it might have very few depending on how many speakers do we have how does it sound in this room acoustically you know is there a lot of reverb in here so in which case the music gets much thinner and simpler is it a very dry room in which case a lot more I, don't, I don't think we've mastered it either i mean i don't no. claim to be able to pull all that off perfectly but I wish I wish we did. That's what we're aiming for. Is like there are definitely. I, I couldn't fluid. say that I haven't sat on stage and thought, Jesus, it sounds fucking horrible in here. I wish the song would end <laughs> now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Next. We'll hear from Aaron Wall and Josh Bonatti of Big A Little A, then back to Drew, and then Vice Cooler and Steve Touchkin from XBXRX. We have a lot of parts that are structured, but then parts are also flexible. And I do think the vibe in the room affects how we stretch things out or yes. condense them. Sometimes uh, technical difficulties like dictate that more than yeah, or <laughs> the vibe. But it's definitely a, a strategy. Like, oh, you know, this it, this part is kind of you know, if people are digging it. You can kind of extend this, or if it's just. This is really like we did a really shitty job of the song. Let's fucking end it as quick as possible and get to the next thing. So it's really nice to have those those different. We also different parts. just playing on the floor is a way of making it less like us and them. You know, right, right. Like yeah, like, could join in. They're like two feet away. So I think that yeah, it's less of less of feeling like you know you're a painting on the mm-hmm. wall or something as a band, and you're like hey, in the middle ground. How, how about um. Do you guys like? I guess I, I would like to ask about like the difference between when you're incubating an idea and when you bring it out to an audience. Um, how how does that differ from you, and how does it translate? Usually, the usually stuff is brought out like kind of you know as like infant songs. You know, like that's yeah. We'll we'll put something together that's that's long enough to we'll, we'll we'll kind of be like okay this isn't really a song but it's long enough that most that anyone who hasn't heard it before is probably going to think we intended it to be a song and so we'll kind of like just we'll road test some of the parts you know that way and then kind of just edit accordingly so it's it's kind of just an extension of the practice space idea you know right so because um, we've, we've you know like we we've we've tossed out tons of stuff that we maybe should have kept and also a bunch of stuff that was probably you know good to good to trash um, just by like road testing it that way. But the computer, it doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it easier in a way because where we're starting from is repro- is is doing. I, I mean you know we're going by an old model, which is. We wrote these songs, we made a record, you want to hear us play them live, and here we are playing them live. That's, I mean, we're, they we don't do sound much like the We record. do basically operate on that model. 
But if we really operated on that model, I think it would be hopelessly boring. Because yeah. we could just press play <laughs> yeah, and make very... a couple decisions on the fly and be, you know, like the Chemical Brothers, if, if you've ever seen them. It's like, I'm just like, how is this indistinguishable in any way from the record except super, super loud and worse because it's playing, being played in a huge sound system in a, in a fucking amphitheater, you know, in a shitty power dome place. Yeah, it I mean, a lot depends on kind of what the audience is able to access and what they're being encouraged to do in response. I mean, that's what's been cool about watching, like, the sort of triumph of Dan Deacon is that he basically took the, like, lightning bolt model of set up inside the crowd, be surrounded by kids, don't be up on a stage, don't be the privileged object of spectatorship, be kind of difficult to see and thus create this competitive who is closest to the center of the action nexus. And then the show is not really about you, it's about the crowd. And so that's that kind of newer model of like punk rock basement show architecture, which is an architecture of poverty, right? Of not having the lights and not having the PA. Because really socially, there's a more kind of inspiring, positive feeling that you get from being surrounded in a tight area with lots of other people who are like you and kind of affirming that, you know? And so then it's not really about this particular song or that particular song. It's about this kind of social dynamic. Nobody ever thought, you know, eight years ago that an electronic music show would be like that because the model then was the sort of culture bunker model of like you sit in a chair and you listen to a precisely created calibrated piece and you bask in how modern you feel. You know, that was a different architecture, a different like social network of feeling. Um, and it's been interesting to see that there's really no correlation between what the music sounds like and the vibe of the gig. It was just, um, you know, I mean, it's just one example of the way that you can't really predict what a genre like is going to do. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I used to be not into stages at all. Um, I thought they were really stupid, and it was this thing of, uh, of, oh, it's making the performer, like, on a higher level in the crowd and stuff. But then the more that I've, like, played on floors, and, or the more shows that I've seen as an audience member where bands are on floors, I really don't like it at all. And um, I don't like it because it's like I, I went there to, to experience the show, and, and if I feel excluded from seeing the show, then I feel like it's stupid, you know? Like Lightning Bolt, um, it, it, I'm not saying they're stupid, but, but, but you know, their shows are so big now that unless you're, you know, they just started playing on stages, yeah, though, which I thought was awesome. Right. Um, a really good move, but, you know, like, a few years earlier, like, couldn't see them play. Just couldn't see it. And it sucked because I'm like, man, they're a really good band. And watching them is, like, really, that's a huge part of it. Like, being able to see, like, Chippendale just, like, wail is, like, a big part of the experience, you know, like when I saw them play, you know, their first, you, you know, the first shows that I saw them play for like the few years where they were playing to like 12 people or 20 people, it was amazing because you could, you could see it and like, um, but, but then when you can't visually see it, a lot gets lost. And so I'm, I'm not, I'm personally not that into when there's at a certain capacity where the bands are on the floor, you, you become disconnected from the show unless you're in that, that front row. Um, it's good for those people in the front, but like 
me like I don't want to get hurt. So I'm never I'm never in the front if people are going like crazy because I want to like see it. And and so um, some shows where we've ended up on the floor, I'm not I'm not into it because the because I feel like I would be one of those people in the back and I would probably leave and be like, yeah, that that was OK, you know. Um, so like something like the CMJ thing, like I'm into like us being on a stage so people can like fully experience it and see it. And it doesn't mean that we can't get on the floor from the stage, but it's like, it's good to like see all four people like on a stage, like going for it. And then everybody in the room can be a part of it. You know, it, it kind of starts to feel like a club. If you, if you're playing on a floor and you know, there's 10 people in the front or in the club, you're not, you know? And, um, but that's just something, you know, like the show we played at that house the other night, there, there weren't that many people. So playing on a floor is like fine. You know, it's like, well, there's no choice. You yeah. Know, there was no yeah. stage to play. On. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I mean, for me, I'm mean, going to just, I'm mostly on the same page with him. And, uh, I think it's nice on tour when there's a wide variety of performance environments to play in instead of just doing the same thing every night. Um, it's more of a challenge to you to have to adjust into different situations. Um, yeah. The only thing I don't like is, you know, outdoor during the day performances just never seem to work for us um, it just sounds bad yeah, it sounds too. bad it's like, just, yeah yeah, yeah. It's, nothing it's for the off. sound to reflect off of yeah, yeah. so i mean that's the only thing where i i would feel a little bit uncomfortable going into a situation like that but everything else is great you know it just all serves its own purpose In this last section, we hear from Matt Gibson and Billy Dufala of Man Man. I would only, I, I would uh, have one more thought and then we can move on to the next question. Because <laughs> um, I'm sure we're, we've embellished on this one enough. But I feel like um, I, I'm, as much as, you know, especially uh, versus how it may have been in, in the previous years, like recording can be so much fun because you just have... Like we were talking about, we have so much technology and tools to work with. Um, I almost feel like that is definitely taken away from, uh, from you know, the live experience. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of bands, I mean, obviously, like, every, there, are, there are professionals, you know, they're, like, there are some really good, you know, you don't, it goes without saying, like, there are some amazing live performers, but... A lot of a lot of bands that are, are definitely making uh, a name for themselves because of the work that they do in the studio, um, you know, are getting to be very busy live. Where I'm sure, like back, in, you know, maybe you know, a few decades ago, that wouldn't have existed, you know, because, you know, I feel like you definitely had to be a better live band, and because you recorded live, you know, you had to be a good live band. Nowadays, you can go in and have an idea and cut it up and do whatever you want with it and then maybe try to figure out how to play a keyboard or a guitar before going out on a tour but it doesn't matter because everybody loves your recording anyway and and well, they're gonna I, buy your shit anyway but i mean being a good being like a really good tight live band it's like still takes a lot even though like an album is a lot of work and you're saying it's laborious like being a really good live you know creating a good live experience for for an audience like still takes 
just as much work, if not more, you know. I think there's more more riding on it these days just because there there is uh, an oversaturation of people who have yeah. that kind of syndrome where like they aren't necessarily a musician or a a, a very uh, adept uh musician and they could they have the the technology to be able to make whole compositions yeah. and whole exactly. albums and actually when it comes to present presentation they, they fall short of like actually being able to uphold what they did in the studio and there is there there's there's more of that these days and yeah. there where, where in, back in the day you had to you had to be a stellar musician i mean i don't know i i, I like to think that with with I mean, it's like almost anything. There's like an oversaturation of every everything in every industry these days almost. Yeah. It's like everybody's doing everything and there's going to be like more of it. So therefore, yes, there's a, a, a greater uh, example of like lesser quality stuff. But within that, there's still like gems totally. to find that, that are totally mind-blowing. And, you know, as there always is, there's like exceptional uh, creative people out there making really amazing things. It's just sometimes in this day and age it might even be a little bit more difficult to find yeah but easier at the same time it's always it's it's always my but i mean that that's always my influence on wanting to always put together that like awesome show you know like i feel like uh you know within my life getting a chance to record or have a recording project even though i'd like it for it to be more frequent like you know it'll happen but having just like that like that drive or like just wanting to have a good Inter- like a really entertaining show that like if an audience shows up and they're just like god damn dude I know like I hate- you don't see that anymore right. you never see that like I'm glad it's happening or you know just because you know there's a lot that people forgot about you know if you just go if you start looking at what dudes were doing in the like when like you know in the 50s like people were just having TV and then you had all these people that were just going crazy like they had a show that where you'd have a crazy band and then you had some people that would just do like acrobatics and do all sorts of fucked up crazy shit that no you're one does anymore. <laughs> no one does it. Going. But it's always happening. You know, it's already happened. It's not like you're being original, but it's just like in the live setting, like it's so uh, I think it's so easy to impress and I'm I, I guess I always want more. I always want more of like something that you're never gonna fucking forget. Like you can go watch hundreds, thousands of bands all using the same gear, playing the same chords, playing, like, you know, screaming into a microphone. And it's just, like, so idiotic to me. Like, I want there to be a little bit more. Like, I want it to be, like... That's why, I mean, that's why I really love, you know, except for there's a lot of those elements, like, screaming into a microphone and, you know, yada, 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 but being an idiot. But, (laughs) like, I love the fact that we're bringing instruments that most people don't even know the names of, you know? Like, even though they're not that, like, you know, they're not that unique or weird it's just they're, like they're they, exotic they could, be, they could be weird when it comes to but rock it's just and like, roll i feel like we bring or at least we we are trying to bring a little bit more of like a, a you know a more well-rounded kind of experience you know matt dreams but, of uh being spike jones yeah i want to be in spike jones nice. yeah. i want to be a i i want to be a guest <clears> on, <throat> on matt's version of the spike jones show dude <laughs> He did. And well, not not the Spike Jones, like the original. There's not, yeah, Spike, not the director. Spike Jones, like the dude, um, variety, like old sixties. Well, he's variety a, show. he was a he was like one of the only, uh, at least you know, that probably got to his level. One of the only um, like percussionists who was like a band leader. You know, I guess you'd have like you know your 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 big 
jazz drummers who were band leaders, but he wasn't even a drummer. Like he had a drummer behind him. He was a vi- he was a television personality. Yeah, yeah. but he was a, he was an incredible performer, and uh, but I, he was one of the earlier uh, like variety shows for television where it was like all these acts were scripted, and there was this in- immense musical theme throughout the entire yeah. thing. He was like he was responsible for bringing uh, Perez Prado to America yeah. for the first time to yeah. perform on his show. And just like like super amazing, but like when you're saying like that's it's everything from like classical to like you know Appalachian to like yeah uh, to you know like Perez Prada to dance, like yeah to like Buddy Rich or like <clears throat> um but I mean Gene Krupa I think was on his show or was oh, it I, mean, I forget I there was like there's just like tons of YouTube clips that are really good that I mean and that and fun. he's like and this is even before like there was regular programming like this was like a special like a review you know all-star review or something or full four-star reviews like he would have his yeah. hour special and that probably happened like once a year or twice you know what I mean like TV was oh, really? pretty like I, I mean that. he might have had like uh something like I the DVDs in which I got like it's all just like the specials yeah you have like the from this year you have like a, a you know he did an hour-long special on a show like and this is back when like for instance like one of the th- things that he was on was the colgate comedy hour like this is where like you know oh, wow. he had to write in an advertisement for the sponsors of the show and that advertisement was probably for like some detergent or like some cream like from sweetened condensed milk or something like something really silly like that you know and so he had like that's because that's who was front long the before the days of selling out and doing yeah. a coca-cola commercial you had to script a cold game exactly one. exactly you had to talk about products like that and that's who like and they would even have like you know those companies would have representatives that would come on and, and they would have like a whole like thing like after spike jones would write something in like it's like because those are the people paying for your show he had he did they did it all and that was like talk about controlled chaos was like you know, yeah, that's it, what they did. Like that was the whole theme of the show is everything's falling apart, but like they made it, you know, fall apart. And so YouTube that shit, it's funny. it's amazing. It's really yeah, funny. yeah, it's really good. And you know, I just like a lot of stuff that Billy does on on uh, on stage is is kind of reminiscent because uh, Spike Jones sitting there with his drumsticks and he's got like like a uh, maybe like a an octave octave and a half or or just an octave of like chromatic cowbell or something else and then he has a whole stand of like horns and like a washboard and he's just like hitting stuff and then like he'll like throw his drumsticks down they'll bounce back up and he's just going he crazy he throws like hand grenades on stage and like, yeah, like shoots fake, blanks yeah, yeah, which blank, is like yeah, exactly it's funny yeah there's and it's then the there's and what there's, I'm talking there's about. certain ideas that when they come up live <laughs> you're just like oh you can't do them because you're like immediately I didn't even know he's the person who introduced me well no I think it was Jay yeah we and me Jay. and Jay the extraordinaires went on a huge Spike Jones. I think we still are. I told Jeff, like, sure, we, we, should, we just need to do an exact replica of one of his shows to get it out of our system, so then we can become a you know become more creative and come up with our own stuff because we're all just like talking about what he did, you know, and and not very many people remember who the hell he was, especially people in our generation. No, everybody thinks of the other Spike Jones. Exactly. When you say Spike Jones, you think of you know the director. Spike Jones. Z. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this special Weird Music series of the Talking Writing Podcast. You can find the full Weird Music album on Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music, and elsewhere. Links to these are in the associated notes. 
To support Talking Writing, myself, and the podcast, you can now subscribe to the Talking Writing Substack, my own Substack, or the Talking Writing Podcast on any of the supported platforms. In addition to supporting these artistic endeavors, subscribers will also receive bonus material, starting with four bonus episodes of the Weird Music Podcast, and upcoming extra content from the Talking Writing Podcast interviews. Thank you.